Hello and welcome to Portrait of a Londoner, a podcast series where we talk to interesting people from our corner of South East London. My name's Muna and in today's episode, along with my co-host Katrina, we're talking to photographer Brock Elbank. Brock started his career in fashion, assisting his idol Anton Corbin and working with Isabella Blow. More recently, he's moved away from fashion and commercial photography to a more art-based approach to portraiture. We speak to Brock about his lightbulb moment when he saw the photos of U2's Joshua Tree album cover and decided he wanted to be a photographer. Hi, Brock. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. And thanks for joining us on Portrait of a Londoner. Tell us a bit about yourself. Um, Well, I'll be 47 in April. I've been taking photographs since I was 14. I was a, well, I'm a big music fan. It plays a massive role in, in my creative outlet, I suppose. And uh, in 1987, it was May 1987 to be precise, I bought the Joshua Tree uh, U2, which was photographed by my hero, Anton Corbin, who is a Dutch, predominantly music, but celebrity photographer. And it was my light bulb moment, I suppose. So um, up until then, I'd, as a child, I'd wanted to play for Liverpool didn't make the grade uh then I was going to be a graphic designer and design album covers and then yes uh, that that was my calling so you ended up working with Anton I did I did he had a printer called Brian that used to do stuff for Nick Knight um it was just off Old Street Roundabout and he was an absolute genius like hand printer and he brought in all of Anton's test prints for Actung Baby First of all, Anton was a really real gentleman, a lovely guy. And Brian proceeded to lay out, I don't know, 80, 90 hand prints of Bono, The Edge, wow. uh, Adam and Larry. And it was just, it was incredible. Fantastic. Not many people have a light bulb moment like that. So it's quite unusual. It's, it's, it can be a bit of a double-edged sword because at my time in life, when you become a parent and a, a husband and, and what have you, you, you ha- obviously have more responsibilities. And I couldn't do anything else. The whole fashion piece, I mean, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about it more, but really fascinates me about working in that fashion world at that time. Mm. How was that? Um, I think working at, I mean, I was an assistant, so I, I don't want to glamorise this because I was making tea, painting coves, working stupid hours for, for next to nothing, but learning, um, I think you really don't, I mean, when I went to university, I became very good friends with my tutor and we're still friends today. But if I'd had my time again, I don't regret anything, but I didn't really learn the industry until I was in the studio making tea for people. So, yeah, the fashion, I mean, there was a lot of, there's people like Nick Knight, Jürgen Teller. God, I can't even think of it anymore, but, you know, big, big household names at the time. I remember being the studio assistant when Nick Knight did a massive shoot with Alexander McQueen for The Face. Um, over five days. I mean, we were wrapping at 3am and starting again at 7am. I mean, it was a phenomenal shoot. Brock started working for Metro Studios and was given his first fashion commission by Isabella Blow. He then worked in fashion for a number of years in the UK and spent a year in the States. But I think with fashion, um, like with anything creative, you have to really earn your stripes for very little money you know it's like anything like acting music there's that top three percent that coin it in 
there's a lot of amazing musicians out there busking. What was it then that made you move direction then in terms of coming away from fashion and into the type of portraiture that you do now? I'd really kind of gone into shooting men's editorial purely because I got really, I have a very crap uh, attention span and I used to be sitting around for hours hair and makeup and I used to just get a bit bored. Shooting men, I could street cast and I've always had an eye for interesting looking people. Brock is well known for his Beard series, which was an exhibition at Somerset House in 2015. Brock first started shooting men with beards a few years previous to this when he was living in Australia, when he worked on a project called Project 60. For that series, he shot 60 people with beards to help raise awareness of melanoma. Like I say, the, the guy Scott Maggs, who runs Beard Season, lost his, his best friend, uh, Wes Bonney, at the age of 26, he had skin cancer. So he, at Wes's uh, wake, saw some old Aussie sort of cowboys in the in this pub they're having a shindig in. And Scott thought it would be a good idea as a conversation piece because beards, you know, people, you know, it's like me being bald, people always sort of mention it like I didn't realise I had no hair sort of thing. So he grew the beard um, to raise awareness to get predominantly 18 to 45-year-old males in Australia who think they're bulletproof to get a skin check because it's a preventable cancer. Brock returned to the UK where he started working on beards. He received over 1,000 applications from people globally wanting to participate and those selected all travelled to Brock's rural Warwickshire home to sit for their portrait. One of the most famous images from that series is of Hanam Kaur, who at age 12 was diagnosed with polycystic ovary syndrome. One of the symptoms of PCOS is excessive facial and body hair, and Cor is able to grow a full beard as a result of her condition. While Cor initially attempted to remove her facial hair due to constant bullying from others, she's grown to embrace her unconventional appearance and has become a spokeswoman for the body positivity movement. In an interview, Cor has stated, I decided to keep my beard and step forward against society's expectations of what a woman should look like. And I sat down and I said, look, if, if we're going to do this, people will apply through Instagram, but they've got to come to the house because I can't, we, we've got no money to driving down to London every five minutes, yeah. renting a studio. And we had a few people that we were on board with, with sort of grooming products and that. And they're like, no, Brock, no one's going to come to your house. And I'm like, well, if, you know, it's kind of like, you know, if we build it, they shall come sort of thing. So we had no money no idea what we were doing i mean from a photographic point of view i knew how to take a portrait but the production of this thing uh, we didn't know if it was going to happen if it would work but over the next two years i ended up spending four thousand hours in production we had in the end 1500 apply uh, north and south america australia all over europe so people came to you from Every, Europe. Yeah, we had the the last week of the um, of the series. So before we got the the gallery, the last week I had a lad coming over from Brisbane, right, flying over for a portrait. I had uh, a gentleman um, Ricardo coming over from Amsterdam, but he was actually he was from São Paulo, and then I had a guy from Dallas coming over who got his passport 
to come to England. He'd never left America. He was 32. Wow. And then this extremely cool dude called Stevie Harrison, who's in a rock band coming over from Atlanta, all in a week. We shot Hanam Kar, who is a, a Sikh woman who has polycystic ovary syndrome. Actually, when I looked at that series, that particular image of her really spoke to me. When we sort of landed Hanam, it was a, it was a real game changer because it was just showing just diversity Absolutely. and how, you know, regal she looks in this. I mean, beautiful. Beautiful image. Mm. It's a beautiful image. How do you think doing that series has impacted you yeah it's completely changed it i mean portrait has always been portrait has always been my first love um and i just i'm fascinated by people and how they are how they think i think doing that series it wasn't about culture style fashion definitely not about hipsters it, it to be honest it wasn't really even about the beards it was about the characters behind the beards and and you know, when we had the... I mean, it was a real privilege to shoot the great late Sir John Hurt. I mean, he didn't have... He had a real scruffy beard, but his face is was just the character. I mean, the guy lived... I mean, he was obviously a genius at his, his craft, but to have the opportunity to spend some time with a man or anyone like that is is, is it's inspiring. It's good to have that on your uh, Google image searches for sure, but yeah, it, it changed everything. Um, I don't really do. I just do what I do now. It's really odd. Since working on that series, you have more recently photographed people with vitiligo, with scars. Um, you did the series at the Oxo Tower with um, people who have congenital melanocytic nevi. I are just you, say CMN. Or CMN. <laughs> what I was wondering is, have you driven these projects or have they come to you on the back of the Beard series and that kind of different type of work? I kind of see something or someone and that kind of triggers something. I'll generally see one person, then I'll go online and do loads and loads of research on Instagram, which is my my pure only vessel now that I work through. Can you um, talk a bit about, I mean, there's one thing photographing people and it's, uh, you know, there's another photographing people who have the likes of vitiligo, CMN. How do you even start with? You just listen to them. I think you, um, when I start a series, first of all, it's got to interest me. It's got to, you know, capture my attention and what have you. I mean, I shot a lady came over from Trinidad and Tobago who, you know, is born and bred Caribbean and she was whiter than me. She didn't have any original pigment. She, and she, her skin was like this bluey porcelain. It was incredible. So she had sort of Caribbean features, but she was and she was in, just amazing, just absolutely amazing. And sort of talking to people like her, where it, you know it's a cultural thing, it's an ethnic thing. You feel like you've lost your identity. Yeah. It, it 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 it's a whole different layer to you know if you're born. When I did the CMN series, you know it's so so rare. 
it's i mean this rogue gene and you just there's no way of finding out about it until the birth you have that from day one i think when you like with alopecia or vitiligo your appearance changes so you could be one thing and then all of a sudden you're something completely different and i think that for people is the challenge because it's almost like a grief of their former selves sometimes in this next section brock talks to us a little bit about his process at work and particularly when he's shooting people with conditions, including vitiligo or CMN. And here he describes an Italian woman he shot for his vitiligo series who was very nervous before the shoot. And I was trying to just convince her that it was all going to be fine. You know, you're not going to lose any blood. <laughs> it won't hurt. Just, just you know, it, you, this is meant to be a positive experience. And she turned to me, because I always talk for about 90 minutes maybe longer until I feel that they're ready to go. And she said, Brocco, she called me Brocco. I'm not going to do the accent, but she said, Brocco, you're like a psychiatrist or a psychologist. And I said, well, I'm not, I'm a photographer. But a lot of emotions and a lot, it comes out. After I did beard, I did freckles. And I've always loved freckles. But what I learned about doing that was that there were so many people despised, and I I don't use that word lightly, their appearance, especially as a child. And I think as, as an adult, they either kind of fade or they just grow to live with them sort of thing. One of Brock's most recent series is Scars, and here he talks to us more about the photography process and also mentions one of the most recent men, Axel, he has shot for the Scars series. I get asked similar, same questions by by photographers. It's like, how do you, what is your process? What do you do? And the first thing is, is I now work from home. You get the best results from people in a familiar environment. People are more relaxed. If you go, if we were in a studio in the BBC now, it it can be intimidating. I've done I've done live breakfast shows and that, and I don't mind doing it, to be perfectly honest. But to, to a lot of people, it, it's, it's it not familiar, it's alien. And I think when you're photographing people, as I do now, that are really taking a, a, a big step for themselves primarily to step out of the routine or see themselves in a better way or whatever it is. So, yeah, working from home is, is first and foremost, and listening as you two are. And this is why you two are so good at your jobs. How do people feel, those people that you're shooting that are really anxious beforehand, how do they feel afterwards? I had a girl that came to do freckles and she turned up at the house and opened the door and I honestly thought someone had mugged her. She looked absolutely awful. And I, I was like, what's happened? She said, I've just been sick in the bin by the station because I'm so nervous which absolutely mortified me because it the whole point is that it's it's a it's a positive enjoyable experience not being with me but the 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 image the the conclusion so now it's all about I'd now FaceTime with everybody beforehand just to make sure I mean there was an amazing guy Axel, um, who came over from Stockholm on Monday, who 
climbed up on top of a tram when he was 19 and had 17,000 volts, third-degree burns, spent six months in the hospital. When, when he came round, you sort of, you know, you listen to what they've gone through and he had a, a, a procedure where he, I mean, he was having operation skin grafts every two days for like three months, right? They then had to do an operation on his neck and back, which meant he had to lie in this specially made bed for two weeks. He, he had to control his breathing because of everything. So two weeks on his back, looking, literally staring at the ceiling. After the two weeks, the surgeons looked at what had happened and they said, we're not happy with it, we're going to have to do it again. I'm, you know, people coming round are trying to just see themselves, not necessarily through my eyes, but from a different angle. You know, people's reactions are generally... Um, I'm relieved. I mean, the worst part for me is that when I direct mail their portraits on Instagram to them for them to see first, when it shows seen and then there's no typing, I'm it, that's like this dark, dark place for me because I'm genuinely... That's the only time I get panicky because all I want is for them to be happy. Just in terms of... What's next? What's on the horizon for you? Um, well, scars, uh, we're only nine months into that, and I tend to do 24 months. So we started scars in April last year. Brock has two young children, and because he shoots at home, his children have now met lots of people from all around the world. Next, he discusses the influence of his work on his children and also the influence his parents have had on him. Now, my children have met so many of these incredible people from all walks of life, with all different um, appearances. I mean, there's a guy I shot for Vitiligo called uh, Bashir Aziz. He's African descent, but he's got a white nose, white streak here, or, you know, no pigment, and then a white. And then his body is just this beautiful mottled it's incredible. It's like marble. I found him on Instagram. I, for some reason, thought, I bet he's in the States or something like that. I reached out to this guy. He's like, oh, I'm, in, I'm in Stockwell or somewhere up there. It was really, really close. So he, he came over on my birthday. I don't generally shoot on my birthday, but he was just so exceptional. I was like, you've got to, you know, come over and do it. But it was the Easter school holiday so the girls were off, they were upstairs and Bash was sitting in the living room. He's a really funny guy, great, great personality. Olive comes in and Olive would have been four or five at the time. And obviously Bash was faced away from Olive. And as he turned round, you know, he's obviously got this unique appearance. Olive kind of jumped, like startled. And then she went, wow, you look like something from the X-Men. And he just went, I'll take that. And the thing is with kids is that they, there's no, they've not been tarnished by society, media, parents, um, whatever, whatever it is. They're, they're very honest and they take everything at face value. But um, 
when you sit down and you listen to the journeys that these people have had, it really, uh, you know... Gives you perspective. It does. Mm. And, and uh, you know, some of them... Some of them are still really struggling with it. Some are, have come to terms with it. I think my kids getting a taste for that. I mean, I'll tell you what one thing uh, Olive did that was just incredible. We were halfway through the, the Vitiligo series uh, and Elke and Olive were up in one of the bedrooms playing with their Lego. And they came down and they'd got their Lego friends and they'd got the african and the caucasian and they'd mixed them and they said look daddy this they've got vitiligo oh yeah and there were four amazing and and now they can tell you know cmn from from this from that from the other and it's it's great I mean, you've obviously learnt so much and your children have too. Is there anything from all this work that you you wish you could kind of impart to people that how how can society be more accepting and less judgmental? Um, I think people fear anything that isn't what's usually in front of them. Anything that stands out that they don't understand, they tend to fear. There's a lot of bigotry and, and ignorance and what have you. I... I've always, I've always been uh, drawn to unique individuals, whatever their appearance. I, I see it as a strength, and I think um, ev- everything I do now, um, I'm not sort of jumping on the bandwagon trying to, you know, but I just, I, I've always seen people in a certain way. My parents um, were very much the same. Um, very liberal, open-minded, you know, didn't care about anything. You know, it was all about face value. Um, And I think that's really kind of come through with me. And I think the more individual somebody looks, the more impact the image is going to be. Brock has worked with several charities, and during the time he was working on the Vitiligo series, he spoke at a Vitiligo Society event. I mean... I, some of the messages I get are just amazing from people that have just seen someone I've shot. They've had a similar accident, injury, medical thing, and it's given them some kind of closure that they've they can now look at themselves as you know in a different uh, way. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to the vitiligo talk I did, there was a lady very striking lady from i think she was from dubai mid 50s stood up very articulate asking all these questions in front of the whole thing after the the event ended i went to the subway uh, the tube to to get the train home and she just so happened to stand next to me on the thing and she said oh you're brock and i was like we struck up a conversation and you know she was telling and then there was a massive delay so we ended up being on the platform for about three quarters of an hour anyway she was telling me about her when she got vitiligo and the the prison the mental prison she put herself in i said why don't you apply for the series and she said oh i couldn't do that and i said why she said they're all professional models i said i if I shoot 90 portraits, two will have modelled at best. I want to shoot real people, not interested in models. 
Anyway, just that perception from the presentation that she thought everybody, their spots, their patches are far more interesting than mine. You know, everyone's always looking at others that are exactly the same as themselves, but they, they're like out of reach and obtainable. She said, and anyway, you know, my confidence, you know, I've had it since in my late 20s. I've had it for over 30 years now. And she said, wedding season is an absolute nightmare. And I said, what do you mean by wedding season? She said, because it's the summer and I would be wearing um, like a dress without sleeves and people will see my vitiligo, my patches under my arms. So she fears getting wedding invitations, even though that might not even happen. So she's already preempting this panic and this, you know, I've got to walk with my arms sort of strapped. To the... And I just said, you cannot. We've all, everybody's got insecurities. I've got insecurities. We all have. Yeah. But you don't generally discuss them. But I said to her, you cannot be worried about what dress you're not going to wear at a wedding that you might not even be invited to. I said, you are amazing. I mean, she never replied. We had this amazing conversation. She hugged me. She got on her train. And I, I never heard from her again. But you, you, you get these phrases, sentences, moments with people, and you think, you cannot, you cannot continue down that path. You've got to unlock something. And that's what, why they're doing what they're doing. I really enjoyed talking to Brock and found it interesting to hear how he's found more meaning in the direction his work has taken him in since working in fashion and more commercial photography. His work has drawn much needed attention to people who wouldn't normally be on the covers of magazines and he's helped spread awareness of diseases like melanoma and CMN. If you want to know more about Brock and his work, you can find him on Instagram at MrLBank. And you can also find him at mrlbank.com. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, we'd be really grateful if you'd be up for giving us rating and review. And please subscribe as well on iTunes. If you have any feedback, comments or suggestions, please get in contact with us. You can email us and our email address is portraitofalondoner at gmail.com or our Instagram is portraitofalondoner and we're also on Twitter and Facebook. 